the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Happy day to you. Hopefully uh, everything's going well and you're scooting into the office or settling down into whatever you settle down into. Um, talking markets on a regular basis, that's kind of my shtick. Uh, trying to get you to retirement, trying to make some sense of some of the investment news that we see out there, some of the data. Uh, we could talk, you know, Angry Birds. We could talk Europe. You know, uh, we could talk the Middle East and oil. How long can oil stay under fifty dollars a barrel and not weigh on the Middle East? About five years is what the IMF is figuring. Um, that's as much. Now, how about Angry Birds? I brought it up. I should finish it, right? Finland's company called Rovio, maker of the hit mobile game Angry Birds. It's decided to cut about 213 jobs, or roughly 32% of its total workforce. Most of the job losses will be in Finland. The company has flagged for cuts in August when it said it planned to slash up to 260 jobs. Uh, Rovio has failed to create a new hit game since the 2009 launch of Angry Birds' top mobile app of all time. What's interesting about it, it was kind of a cultural phenomenon, right? I think I saw... Um, I was watching the late late show with Craig Ferguson one night, and uh, I saw an author talk about how he's finished every level with three stars. I was extremely proud of it, and uh, I think the point being is I don't think they need it to come public. I I don't like. I get a company like Uber and Facebook uh, taking their time, raising a lot of money, hiring a workforce. Staying in, under the radar, so to speak, um, and then last second coming out public, I, I get it. I get building a, a company and getting it to maturity. I, video games, I, I, I don't get. I, I don't think we need maybe a bigger company, yes, but an app maker who has a one hit. Uh, we've done this with Zynga. Now we've done it with the Rovio, and it just doesn't make a lot of sense, uh, at least not to me. 
There were no gains to be had for the stocks yesterday. There weren't any big losses either. Sideways is not down. The three-session win streak for the S&P 500 was interrupted by a decline of just under three points. Positive bias, you know, started taking place late in the afternoon, which is roughly the time that LAM Research announced a $10 billion deal to acquire fellow chip equipment maker KLA Tencore. Um, in the 80s, we created a lot of semiconductor equipment manufacturing companies. These are the companies that basically, like, make the semiconductors or cook them, as I like to say. Um, there was a lot. You know, applied materials was was the king. Now we've gotten it down to, you know, ten players down to two or three players. It's just not enough there. Um, Japan reported low trade balance report for September. Featured a weaker than expected six-tenths of a percent increase in exports and an 11.1 percent decline in imports. Uh, that latter number marks a big slump from the 3.1 percent decline registered in August. Uh, Japan's slowing. China's clearly having some issue. China down three and a half percent. The ECB, European Central Bank, meets tomorrow. It's expected to announce some new stimulus measures at that meeting. Although, you know, it's also going to lay some communication groundwork for, you know, another easing in the near future. So central banks are kind of back back big time right now in the news. So a little merger and acquisition helps things for sure. Biogen, Boeing, General Motors, Kimberly-Clark, SanDisk um, all have earnings ex- earnings results. Some of them better than others. But Biogen and Boeing, Boeing particularly, I think are a good number. General Motors, a great number. When you strip out uh, their recall, very good number. So, so oil prices have been flagging. Uh, they're down 1.9% this morning. They're about 10% off their October high weekly inventory data from the Energy Information Administration, also known as the EIA. It's going to be released so we're watching the inventories. Um, and that's really the, the, the what's happening out there today. So Boeing reports better than expected results. Sandisk to be acquired by Western Digital, $86 a share. Sandisk a maker of flash drives. Western Digital a maker of hard drives. Obviously, uh, things have changed a considerable bit in the world of computers. Uh, the hard drive's kind of going away. Um, slowly but surely. And down the road, you know, Apple wants you to store everything online. So the cloud will be in the news coming down the road. Coming down the road. So is Apple big enough and strong enough to put drives out? 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Biogen was in the news this morning. They're cutting about 11% of their workforce and restructuring. Hmm. So it's going to cut about 11% of its workforce, trying to save about $250 million a year. Stock up 7% on that news. Wall Street likes job cuts. So this also comes with a, you know, a slowdown in the growth of their multiple sclerosis drug. Company reported better than expected third quarter earnings. Biogen reported that another of its multiple sclerosis drugs 
failed in a late-stage clinical trial in the form of a disease known as secondary progressive MS. So this is something that I like about Wall Street. Um, and it's horrific to say out loud, but they cut jobs. When they don't get there, when they don't grow to where they want to be or where the public wants them to be, they cut jobs. HP is cutting up to 30000 Evernote, $47, Dollar General, 255 Chevron, up to 10%, Chesapeake Energy, 740 jobs. So, uh, again, it's, it's not ideal, but it's something that Wall Street, you know, uh, rewards. So... Coca-Cola came in once and above expectations, but revenue fell short of forecast. Cook's result, like those of a lot of large multinationals, were hurt by the impact of the stronger dollar. Boeing reported profit uh, that beat expectations. Revenue also beat expectations. Coach, Morgan Stanley upgraded the luxury purse maker to equal weight from underweight, saying bad news such as market share declines and negative earnings revisions have now been priced in the stock. Yahoo um, had revenue that was slightly short of forecast, and the company gave a weaker-than-expected outlook. They also announced a new search advertising deal with Google. They've been seeing a lot of executives start to leave the company as the hype of Marissa Mayer and the tenure is starting to be questioned. Ferrari priced its IPO room, room, at $9.8 billion. You can own shares of Ferrari. Fiat Chrysler sold 10% of its Ferrari stake in the offering. Um, is seeing shares fall as some investors expect the offering to price higher for Ferrari. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. What you waiting for? No, what you waiting for? What you waiting for? No, what you You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. So I was looking at the IPO filing for Ferrari. They had to file a prospectus with the U.S. regulators so they could proceed with the whole IPO process. And their IPO did price, so that'll be coming to the market soon. Ferrari is currently called, this is some of the things that were inside that prospectus, it's currently called the New Business Netherlands. What? Um, just the way they're filing right now with Fiat Chrysler, who owns shares of the company, an Italian family-owned shares of the company. So uh, so the company that's going to be selling shares is called New Business Netherlands. So you're like, okay, that's kind of interesting. You're starting to get a feel for, it's a little convoluted, the, the ownership right now. Ferrari profits are rising, but car shipments have stagnated lately. Ferrari earned about 265 million euros in 2014. That was up about 7.7%. So will you buy this IPO? I'm intrigued by it, I'll tell you that, because it's priced on low end of expectations. 
and the IPO market's weak right now. Um, the IPO will involve the sale of just 10% of Ferrari to the public. The son of deceased Ferrari, founder Enzo Ferrari, owns 10% and has no plans to sell. Fiat Chrysler is keeping the other 80% initially, but they're going to dump those on the market next year at the start of the year. Shareholder loyalty is rewarded. Um, the two families that own a lot of the shares uh, get a lot of the voting program. So uh, the people who have been around a long time are going to be making the decisions. Formula One is a big deal to Ferrari. The Ferrari Formula One team is the oldest and most successful team in the history of the sport with 222 Grand Prix run one. Um, Formula One boosted over 425 million television viewers in 2014, making it the most watched annual sports series in the world. Who knew, right? And that's a lot of free advertising. Formula One could become a problem, is noted in the prospectus. Um, so it, it's a prospectus is going to tell you uh, who the competition is, some of the you know the, the things that could go wrong with the company. Ferrari is getting struggled to overcome the dominance of the Mercedes team this year. The racing team is the key component of their marketing strategy. So that's worthy of note that another racing group is kind of kicking their, their tail this year. Uh, Ferrari owners buy more Ferraris. This is one of the reasons it's considered a luxury brand. It's an iconic brand. Ferrari owners are as a passionate bunch as there are. It caused them to buy more Ferraris. In 2014, about 60% of the new cars the company sold were to Ferrari owners. About one-third of Ferrari owners own more than one. There's some limits to profitability. The company noted in their prospectus that some of the cachet surrounding its cars comes from the aura of exclusivity and the sense of luxury which their brand conveys. They intentionally keep production at about 7,000 cars to stoke its scarcity premium by making buyers wait on average about a year before they can acquire a Ferrari. They're focusing on maintaining low volumes. Now, I hate that. Um, that's not a reason to buy a stock. We're, we don't plan to grow. If the company were to produce more cars, it warns we may not be able to maintain the exclusivity of the Ferrari brand. Hmm, why come public? You don't need the money. But there's limits to their profitability at this point in time. Although they've got a 14% profit margin, which any car company would say, wow. Uh, the company notes that surrounding some of its cars, um, you know, that, that they're just going to do 7,000 a year. What are they going to do? Maybe close or, I don't know. It's To me, this kind of brings up some, uh, so there's an earthquake risk, which is really interesting. So I'm talking myself out of buying this because the number of cars being uh, made. But there's also earthquake risk. This is kind of fascinating. The company assembles its car engines at the production facility in Marinello, Italy, and manufactures their chassis at a nearby facility in Modena. Marinello and Modena are located in a region of Italy which is, has potential for seismic activity. In 2012, a major earthquake struck the region, causing production of their facilities to be temporarily suspended for a day. Um, so in case of a big one, what's going to happen? It's kind of fascinating, right? Earthquake risk. 
Um, there's a Ferrari theme park in Abu Dhabi. Um, and there's another one in the works. So, you know, Disney's kind of got the whole Disney thing, right? And they're able to roll out their resorts around the world. Disney Hawaii is something that I probably would have laughed at 15 years ago. And then you just see how they hook those kids. I mean, they could, they get the parents with the Hawaii location. They get the kids with something a little different. Uh, just the constant marketing. So there's a Ferrari theme park. They're getting some licensing revenue from Ferrari World, a theme park on an island of Abu Dhabi that opened in 2010. The park offers an all-around Ferrari experience to children and adults alike. The attractions include futuristic 40 rides, such as the family-friendly Speed of Magic and the world's fastest roller coaster, which reaches speeds of 240 kilometers per hour and simulates the breathtaking adrenaline rush of a Ferrari single-seater. In the G-Force experience, visitors are launched 62 meters upwards and over the roof of the park before being pulled back to Earth. But if a trip to Abu Dhabi isn't in your, your future, take heart, because the company is an agreement for a theme park near Barcelona. It's expected to open next year, and over the long term, the company aims to open one theme park in each of the main geographical areas in which they operate, including North America and Asia. Who would have thought? The IPO is probably codenamed Project OWL. When bankers are putting together mergers, IPOs, and other big transactions, they come up with a code name for it. Verizon Communications' $4.4 billion takeover of AOL is called Project Hanks. The Ferrari offering appears to have been dubbed Project Al, though you wouldn't know by searching around the prospectus. It appears to be the title of the document that's in one of their web browsers. So that's everything that I can come up for you on uh, Ferrari. It's kind of crazy, huh? Are you with me on that? ESPN is going to lay off as many as 350 people trying to save about $40 million annually. Disney, who owns ESPN, has said uh, you need to get $100 million in savings. They're going to announce a big NBA deal soon. So, big NBA deal coming soon. Um, Consumer Reports yanked the Tesla recommendation. And this is important because if you're going to spend $76,000, $120,000 on a car, you kind of want the one company, the one magazine that's known for rating cars to have, you know, kick the tires on it. Now, Consumer Reports lauded the automaker's service and loyalty as the best in the, in the world. They test drove it a couple weeks ago, and they gave it 103 out of 100. That all sounds really good. But as they got some surveys back from some users of it, they, they kind of got a sore spot. The drivetrain, the power equipment, the charging equipment, the center console, the sunroof squeaks, rattles, and leaks. So because it can't get the, the reliability from the survey, they can't recommend it. Fascinating. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. I know what you're trying to say, baby. You're trying to say, oh, yeah, it's business time.
Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Joining me now, Dr. Jeff Rosen, Chief Economist with Briefing.com. How are you, Mr. Rosen? I'm pretty good. How about yourself? Doing well. Doing well. Uh, anything economically jumping out at you right now? You know, right now it's uh, kind of slow. We're getting ready for GDP to come out next week. We get our first look at Q3. Um, yesterday we saw the housing numbers that were you know, you know, still pretty robust. Uh, it topped um, 1,200 you know, for the first time since June, and it was the second time that we've had two months of 1,200-plus uh, housing starts since 2007. So it looks like things are you know, getting at least back on track to the acceleration that we were expecting to happen in 2015 uh, after the numbers at the end of 2014 showed some signs of strength. So that's good. Uh, really, you know, we're just kind of in a holding pattern, you know, waiting to see on the political front what's going to happen on November 3rd when the debt ceiling uh, comes due and then back in uh, what's going to happen in December. You know, I think that for all intents and purposes, that we know the Fed doesn't isn't probably going to react to raising rates this year based on the incoming economic data and the global economic situation. So I think that you know right now we're just looking at uh, you know some types of events that could cause some disruptions. U.S. budget deficit is lower than before the 2008 financial crisis, but good news is tempered by concerns on the you know the debt load and on the economy. Um, how do you feel about where we are as far as the debt and the deficit um, from the government side of the fence? I'm not concerned, and I don't think the market's concerned because interest rates okay. haven't moved, even though the, the deficit has definitely grown over the last, you know, six years. So, you know, what are we going to do? What, what's the the optimal deficit? I don't know. Uh, what I do know is that, you know, failing to raise the debt ceiling it would be, I don't know, catastrophic is the right word, but it could have you know, serious repercussions, uh, you know, definitely uh, major disruptions in the Treasury market, major disruptions in, in global uh, transfer payments. So, you know, right now I'm more interested in the near term, what's going to happen in two weeks than what's going to happen, you know, six years from now, let's say, if, uh, you know, the deficit continues to grow at the rate that it's grown, you know, we start to see, you know, 110, 120% debt to GDP. What, what would that do? But, uh, you know, right now, my, my major concern is, you know, are we going to see a major disruption in the Treasury market? And if the Treasury market seizes at least a little bit because of the fact that certain bonds aren't being paid because the government doesn't have the ability to pay its debt le- levels, even though they've already run up the debt, uh, that would be a more concerning feature. I'm with you on that. Um, speaking of so, COLAs, do you have any opinion on Social Security and cost of living adjustments, and are they accurate for our senior citizens? Because that's turned into a big story on uh, Social Security not going up in the next couple of years. Yeah, well, the question is, you know, because it's based off of CPI trends, and CPI is not a bucket of goods that you and I buy. It's a bucket of goods that the entire economy buys. So, you know, if you look at what, you know, people that are that are of age of collecting Social Security and what their expenses are, their expenses are much different than the trends you see in Social Security. 
or sorry, so in, in the CPI numbers. So the inflation that these people may be uh, feeling, may be facing, is likely greater than what the CPI number is showing. And if that's the case, then you know their cost of living is definitely going to go down because their Social Security payments aren't going up to match you know, what they're experiencing in inflation. And I don't know if there's an easy way to solve that, um, at least in a situation that's fair for everybody, because, you know, the, the whole point is that some people experience more inflation than others, and the whole in the aggregate is, is what you get this economy-wide type CPI program. So it'll be interesting to see if future, you know, I don't know, congressional committees make a decision on changing the dynamic of how Social Security is uh, applied. I think more likely is that you're, you're, they're trying to cut payments. So the fact that the idea of lower increases is more beneficial to the, uh, to the pot of, of Social Security so that it, it could last theoretically longer. So it's an interesting dynamic. It, it's more of a, a political um, argument. I don't know the economic behind it, but you know, it's, I would definitely say that you know, probably seeing more inflation than what the CPI is showing, and, and it's probably worse off to, to senior citizens. In recent news, we've seen the home builders' confidence soar back to levels that were right around the time the home builders started to crash. Um, I see that there's a lot of home builder and uh, existing home sales, a lot of data coming up that you're going to be reporting on in the next week. Uh, do you put any value in home builders' confidence, or is it the when it's high, then you should be selling? Or I'll just let you talk about this. Yeah, I mean, the home builder confidence again, it's these surveys that ask you, you know, how are your feelings, what are you seeing? So I don't give much credence to the fact of, you know, is this number better than last month? That means we're going to see starts rise or we're going to see uh, sales rise, you know, in an immediate response to, the, to these indicators. But I think the overall improvement in confidence is good because I think the fact that we know that there is a shortage of inventory. We know that uh, inventories during normal times, during normal selling periods, are right around six months. And the inventory levels of both new and existing homes are considerably less than that. So we know that at current demand trends, we would expect to have higher inventories. Well, in the new home sector, the only way to get more inventories is if you build more. So the idea that confidence is improving and that they believe sales are going to increase, and we know that inventories are short today, would give hope that we would see an acceleration in uh, production and in construction specifically. And that's a big contributing factor to economic growth following recessions is a build in housing. You know, you typically have low interest rates to spur demand to buy big-ticket items such as houses. Well, this recession was a housing-induced crash, so we didn't have the big increase that would bring economic growth back towards potential. So now the fact that things are short and uh, builders need to build to meet demand, and we expect demand to continue to improve as the economy improves, then we would expect to see a big jump in production, which should hopefully give a boost to overall economic growth. Throwing a little bit of a curveball at you, um, I was reading an article in the Wall Street Journal about a Harvard person. I don't, want, I don't think he was an economist. His name's Roz Chetty. 
talking about mobility in the United States, the shrinking middle class. Everyone seems to blame globalization. But he's blaming bad neighborhoods and bad teachers robbing children of the chance to climb into the middle class. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I don't know much about the human capital growth based on specific schools in certain areas and how that impacts you know, the, the upward mobility. Um, you know, I, I'm sure there's truth to that. I mean, the, you always see that you know, poor neighborhoods don't you – know, you tend to get – people staying in the same poor rural neighborhoods or same poor urban neighborhoods and, and rarely moving out. And a lot of that could be the fact that, you know, there is no uh, gain in, in job skills based on the school system that's there. I mean, a lot of it also could be the fact that there's, you know, low job growth to begin with. So people that are staying there to end up, you know, not having the money to move out, which keeps their kids in the same area, which perpetuates the cycle. So, yeah, you know, I'm sure there's there's plenty of different uh, reasons for that, but I, I could agree that uh, that there's probably an, a, a correlation between the types of schooling that that occurs in these neighborhoods and the impact on uh, upward mobility into the middle class or upper middle class. Anything that you're working on, Dr. Jeff Rosen, as chief economist at Briefing.com, that you want to make us aware of? Uh, I think that we have GDP coming out next month, next uh, week. Um, you know, right now we're pretty high. We're a little over three uh, percent. The consensus is between one and one and a half percent. And I think the, the major difference between forecasts right now is that inventory component. Inventories are tough to forecast under normal circumstances, and this time we have some really wacky inflation figures. We've had some uh, deflationary PPI reports. And that type of stuff can throw the inventory numbers into whack. So I think that there could be a volatile number in the headline number. If we exclude inventories, I think real, real final sales are going to come in at roughly 3%. Um, our forecast is in line with the um, Atlanta Fed's GDP Now forecast of real final sales. So I think stripping out the inventories, which could give the headline number a little bit of a wacky uh, flavor, uh, growth in the third quarter is actually pretty good. Thanks very much. It's Dr. Jeff Rosen. You can find him at briefing.com. He's the chief economist at briefing.com. Briefing.com is a wonderful group to work with. Um, They've got super bright people ranging from everything from uh, stock traders to momentum investors to story stock writers to technical analysis to market strategy, market analysis to even the economist. Um, It's a site that I start my day at and you know, I, I don't watch a lot of sitcoms, but I find just as much entertainment out of uh, perusing economic data and financial data as I do uh, back when I was 20 years old and watching sitcoms. Anyhow, I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. You can find me online at robblack.com. You can find Briefing at briefing.com. They have an app as well.
You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW on the iHeartRadio app. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Don't be shy. Anything you want to talk about, we could talk about. Uh, let's go to a phone call. I'm not sure who we have. Who? Robert, how are you? Hi. Hi, Rob. Uh, thanks for taking the call. Uh, question. Uh, I, I have a stock portfolio I'm happy with. Uh, I have an emergency fund, which is um, yeah, reasonable money, but uh, earning no money. Uh, I would like to put some funds, money, into, I, I think, uh, a mutual or a municipal bonds. I'm looking okay. for, I think, like a state municipal bond, which I've heard, I don't know much about this, that those are very safe, that they're, uh, you know, I don't know, guaranteed, but they're backed by, you know, the, the authority to, to tax, so forth. Can you give me some guidance on that? Yeah. Um Thanks for the call, first and foremost. I like your approach to how you handle that call. You talked a little bit about, you know, where you are. Um, you talked about having an emergency fund. I don't know if bonds are appropriate for you because it would take a little bit longer for me to, like, scratch the surface with you. But municipal bonds, uh, bonds are IOUs, and I'm going to get kind of stupid for everyone and not just you. Um when you own a stock, you own a piece of the company. You're an owner. When you own a bond, they owe you. It's a debt obligation. Uh, when you buy a municipal bond, you're loaning money to the issuer for a set number of interest payments over a predetermined period. Uh, the bond reaches a maturity date at the end of that period, and the full amount of your original investments returned to you. Municipal bonds are available in both taxable and tax-exempt formats. The tax-exempt bonds tend to get the most attention because the income they generate is typically exempt from federal and, in many cases, state and local income taxes. Investors subject to the alternative minimum tax, AMT, must include interest from certain munis when calculating the tax. So you need to kind of consult your accountant with your investment advisor. Um, there's something called general obligation bonds, and there's also something called revenue bonds. General obligation bonds, you may see them as GO bonds, G-O. They're issued to raise immediate capital to cover expenses. They're supported by the taxing power of the issuer. Revenue bonds are issued to fund infrastructure projects, and they're supported by the income generated by those projects. Both types of bonds are tax-exempt and particularly attractive to risk-averse investors due to the high likelihood that the issuer repays the debt. So they can be safer. I wouldn't say that they are safer. Um... A lot of bonds allow the issuer to repay all or a portion of the bond prior to the trade date uh, with a premium added in exchange for the early debt retirement. So there's market risk. The underlying price of the particular bond could change in response to the market conditions. When interest rates fall, newly issued bonds will pay a lower yield than existing ones, which make the older bonds more attractive. Investors who want the higher yield may be willing to pay a premium to go get it. There's some buying strategies that you should be aware of. If you want to generate both income and appreciation from the bond portfolio, you would want an active portfolio management approach. Um, 
there's also like a bond laddering strategy for bonds where if you need income, let's say you're retired and you need three years of income, you could ladder your bonds. They're always coming public. They're always coming, you know, uh, to fruition every three years. Um, I think that's the basics of municipal bonds. You can uh, probably get a much better explanation from someone other than me. Uh, there's a California Municipal Bond Fund that Nuveen offers. Um, that's okay. So um, there's about 100-plus municipal California bond funds, um, making it the municipal bonds. You know, And the funds give you more diversification because they're buying various types of bonds. I would say that it's probably fair if you go to a bond broker uh, they're going to charge you a pretty nice commission to buy them. So I'd rather you go the exchange-traded fund route or the index fund route, um, not index, but uh, mutual fund route. So uh, there is a difference between, for instance, a Stockton municipal bond and a Palo Alto municipal bond. And Stockton may have more risk, right? If you just go on that uh, simplest of, of ways of approaching things. Uh, but... T. Rowe Price has a nice California free bond fund. The expenses are really, really low. Um, I'd go with T. Rowe Price or USAA. They've got a nice California bond fund. Um, last year, the performance was about 4.55%, which is pretty good. Um, who else do I can I think of? Uh, Vanguard's got probably uh, one of the highest rated, VCITX, VCITX, and if you live in California, you're buying the California municipal bonds. But for those who live in Connecticut, Vanguard's got the same thing for Connecticut. Uh, you get the idea. So, yeah, you're going to have to watch expenses because, like, you don't want to get – you don't want to be paying 1% to get 4%. Um, so I would probably go with Vanguard, it is in my opinion, if you're going to do it. Anyway, I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for the call, Robert. It always helps when you, the listener, call in. It gives us a lot more content to work with as far as, you know, I haven't talked about a municipal bond in probably three years on the show. It has a little rusty, but it's fun to do. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Join me tomorrow. I'll probably talk about dollar-sensitive investing. I'll come up with another theme for you. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at robblack.com. Find me on Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.